Did you get traded at the deadline ever? It's weird. I've only got one ear. One ear, that's which, it. Which, which, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's in all the way. <laughs> you don't feel it? It's there. But I'm on. Why are you breaking everything? Now it's, <laughs> now it's just dangling. <laughs> Honestly. I, it's are just, you okay? It's, it's, here, let's just do this. I'll just. Is that better? Here. Now you can actually hear? Well, I, I mean, I guess I don't really. What do I need to hear? No, no, it's not yeah. like I say say anything good. smart We're ever. Good. Um, traded at the deadline? No, I never was. You never got I was, I was picked up off of the seldom seen re-entry waivers mm. once at the deadline. So I was half price. Half price? Um, yeah, that would have been, you know what? 10th anniversary of that coming up. 10 years it ago. Was, it was during the 2010 Olympics. Yeah. It was, uh, the Olympic break was over, but mm-hmm. the Olympics were still going on. Right. If that makes sense. Yes. So the guys had to report, had to be back. They're still and practicing. practicing. And, stuff, right. and, and so, yeah, I got picked up by the Rangers. I got a signed on paper transaction by Dallas down and recalled back up because it was, they were hopeful someone would pick me up on re-entry waivers. And I don't even think that's a thing anymore. No, right? it's not. At the time, it yeah. was, you'd get the player for half price. And uh, yeah, so I got picked up by New York. And when... and that's the year you guys just lost uh, in game 82 in the shootout to yeah, the Flyers and the Flyers right. made the cup run. Yep, they went all the way to the right. final, lost to Chicago. And But it was, what was really cool about that, and it's the 10th anniversary of the Olympics and the golden goal, golden goal, is I went to watch the gold medal game in a sports bar in Manhattan with a, obviously a number of teammates. And... The the reaction when Parise scored to tie it late in in the the bar was pretty loud, right? But the reaction when Sid scored to win it by the five or six of us Canadians, including a brother of a player, so Mark Stahl, who I you know know from Thunder Bay, uh, he was with me in New York, but Eric was on the team, so we were all pretty pumped that not only did Canada win, but uh, Thunder Bay boy and his brother won. So that was it. And then everyone kind of turned and looked at us and we're like, oh boy, what are we doing? <laughs> getting in trouble. Because <laughs> we York. were getting, we were getting into it and having a good time. But uh, so I was never traded at the deadline. That would be the closest to that. All right. But up. they picked up a ton of guys that year. They did. Yeah. So the Rangers loaded up. They, uh, they went all in on a backup goalie. Uh, myself, that was tongue in cheek. No response from either of you. Uh, Ole Jokinen, Brandon Prust, Jody Shelley, Anders Eriksson, Bubba, they picked him up. Um, and we all stayed at, uh, we all stayed at sort of one hotel in Manhattan. So it was like, and then I remember Brian Boyle would come by in his like Yukon or, Sub- or Suburban and pick up, pick us up <laughs> to take us up to practice. And we'd all cr- cram. No, it wasn't a Suburban. It was the, the shorter wheelbase and we'd cram in the back and yeah, just to drive up to practice. Anyway. Oh, good times. Yeah. Good memories. So, to answer, no, but. That yes. was a long answer. No. It, was, it was close. It was you were a deadline acquisition, just not a deadline trade. Good point. Yeah, you know, so that's, it, that's it a techni- technicality. And yeah, we, we know how to get by with technicality. Why is there a deadline coming up? Uh, a couple days ago. Oh, I mean, in, in a couple, couple of days. days ago. Yeah. Well, and it feels like considering all the trades that have happened, it feels like the deadline's already coming. What's going to be? What's going to be left? And they might trade for you even at the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, there's always there's always some scraps left for the <laughs> the GMs who are dredging the bottom of the barrel. Uh, well, you know what? Let's get into the podcast. And we'll talk about the Canucks ahead of the deadline and at the deadline. Let's get going. This is the Canucks Pod with Safi Shah and Alex All. 
Welcome to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod, and we call it the deadline edition because the Canucks have made a deadline move ahead of the TDL, which is coming up on Monday. And man, what did you think, Aldi, of the Canucks getting Tyler Toffoli? I think it's a, I think it's a great fit for this group. Um, I think he's obviously. I mean, you never know for sure how a deadline acquisition is going to turn out whether it's going to bear a lot of fruit or not. But from a player type and what the Canucks are, are missing, especially with the injuries to, to Besser and Levo, which th- that announcement kind of all comes out at the same time. So it's all intertwined with the Toffoli trade as well. But the type of player he is, the need for offense, the guy, the fact he can slide up and down your lineup in those top couple of lines, depending on Besser's health. And then even when Besser comes back, like, is yeah. he, is he 100% and like, I like it. I like it. And it also, I like the mentality of this, this group being like, Hey, like, let's go for it. And it's, it's twofold. I think it's partially because of where the team is at and the way they're playing and what they've been able to accomplish so far this year. But also it speaks to the market in terms of the way the league is set up and what's in front of the Canucks in terms of this division being wide open Mm -hmm. And, and this potential, we're seeing year over year that unexpected teams are making deep runs. So this belief of why not us and why not try and get some people who are going to be difference makers. Well, and I saw people kind of ask, should every single team that's in a playoff position be aggressive at the deadline? And the answer is no. It's all about the context. And if the Canucks were, say, fighting for wildcard two in the Eastern Conference for a chance to meet Tampa Bay or Boston... You can make the case that, okay, you know what? Don't be spending your assets. It's not a year where you got to go that heavy to go all in. But if you look at the fact that the division is wide open in the Pacific, you have a chance to win the division. You have a chance to get out of the division and get to the Western Conference Final. Not that the Canucks are the favorites to do so, but there is a pathway that you can reasonably tell yourself that you can get on and get through. And the other aspect of this is you missed the playoffs four years in a row. And no rebuild should take missing the playoffs five years or six years. It should be three to four, and you got to start winning again. Because at some point, that losing culture becomes ingrained in who you are as an organization, and it's hard to shake. And we got this opportunity the Canucks do have this year in the division. I think you have to be aggressive. You either choose to be in or out. And right now, I think the right choice is to be in. I agree with that. Um, as you, when you started off saying about you know being that last wild card spot, maybe playing Tampa. I mean. Say that to Columbus yeah, last year. Like, fair enough. Fair you enough. know, it's you. You get in, and who right. knows what can happen. Now, Columbus very unique situation. And and what I'm curious though is the way Columbus handled their deadline last year. We we talked about that possibly setting the table or setting a tone going forward. Teams that mm-hmm. weren't going to sell pending UFAs. You know, they they kept both Panarin and Bobrovsky, and obviously they're a unique situation because they they're proving that they had some depth below those guys, players who were ready to fill in, ready to step up. They're still having a good season this year. My point being, though, you 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 get in the playoffs, you never know what can happen. I mm-hmm. would say that, I mean, aggressive is a relative term, right? Like, should all teams be aggressive? Well, it depends how aggressive. All teams should be in it for the here and now to the point that you aren't completely sacrificing your future unless you are in a situation like a team like Tampa that is looking at it, like they're they're running up against their window with this mm-hmm. core, so they're looking at it a little differently than a team like Vancouver, whose window is sort of just opening. But you still want to give your team opportunities to compete and opportunities to have some success because 
every year presents its unique challenges. They're in this point right now where you have Pedersen and you have Hughes producing at a very high rate on, on lower deals. At some point in their careers, you would hope that they're going to be producing at higher rates, but on exp- exponentially higher contracts. Yeah. So you have a certain amount of room right now. That room is always changing. It's always moving with the contracts. And yes, there are some some cap constraints that the Canucks are up against right now. But you you want to give the group the the confidence that you believe in them. That's part of it. And if you believe you can win a round, then there's nothing that's stopping you from winning the, the Stanley Cup. And you have to go about it that way. And you, the other aspect is young players that come in. And, and so now I look back on my career and I'm like, it's, I was almost spoiled my first couple of years in Vancouver. I was, I was sort of black ace for playoffs, mm-hmm. called up, got to dress one playoff run and, and got to play in some games. But when you start out your career on a team that makes the playoffs every year, you just expect that the rest of your career. And then all of a sudden you go a few years without playoffs and then you go, you know, you just, you just want opportunity as a player. And the management group always has to balance that chance, the opportunity versus the future. And that is, that's a delicate act, but it is something they spend a lot of time agonizing over. And, and you're right, because the expectation always is you rebuild, and in three or four years, you snap your fingers, you add all the pieces, and we're ready to go. The Edmonton Oilers made the playoffs once in 13 years. The Buffalo Sabres are on the verge of missing the playoffs 11 out of the last 13 years. So as much as, yes, you want to rebuild, you want to be patient, and you can always look at it as, hey, we can get back at it again. If you get into that cycle of losing... And you keep firing the GM because you're not winning again. You fire coaches because you're not winning again. You keep spinning your wheels because you keep going over the roster and over and over again. You get stuck in a decade, two decade long hole. And there is a real risk of losing, becoming normalized. Now, I'm not trying to make it seem like this was a make or break year. But when you have the opportunity, you're trying to get out of that cycle. You do have to be aggressive. It is different for a team that's missed the playoffs four years in a row to be aggressive because Besser is out and you want to give yourself a chance to win. And a team that has a window for five years and can tell itself that we made the playoffs two years. We still have a four-year window open. Things are a bit different. You can think more long-term. And not to say the Canucks shouldn't be think- thinking long-term. They absolutely should be. But you can't let this opportunity slip your- through your fingers. Because the opportunity is there. And if you want to be a big boy club, sometimes you got to act like a big boy club. you got to show your guys that you are going to be a winner and you're going to give them that chance. Because if you get to that point where you don't have faith in your own organization because you don't think they'll make the right moves, what does that do to a room? Well, I mean, it tears it apart. And, and guys start getting really selfish, right? And, and people leave because they don't believe in what's going on. And it's... It's such a fine line between the future and the present. And when you look at it, though, it's in some ways, when I look at the, some of the, the fan base, and again, it's this microcosm of Twitter. It is, mm. it's, a, it's a tough place to then gauge all of any fan base's sort of fandom, if you will, just, just in Twitter. Because a lot of people, a lot of very good fans don't even indulge in that. But what's interesting is the Canucks have almost done such a good job of marketing in a way, the rebuild, the develop, the future, the development of, of young players and all of that, that it's almost like there's going to be a bit of a lag that, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's almost like this, the fans, a lot of the fans are still, no, like we need these picks. We need these players. We need these assets. Like that's how we rebuild. There is a transition point. There is a point where you have to go from the future to the present. And sometimes the present is about sacrificing a bit of the future. And, and that, that speaks to a player like 
like Tyler Madden and, and moving on from him mm-hmm. to get something that helps you in the here and now. And yeah, it, it does matter what type of player Tyler Madden turns out to be in mm-hmm. terms of the overall assessment of the trade. At the same time, most most organizations realize to get something good, you have to give something good in return. And and yeah, you want to win some deals, but you're not you're not out there every day trying to just hit home runs on every single trade. You realize you have to give up some positive assets in order, order to get something that fits your needs better in return. And when you look at the the nature of the general manager position, the general manager can only be so patient because they're only given a certain window on their rebuild philosophy, their plan. And Jim Benning essentially is already in take two, mm-hmm. you know? And so yeah. he, he doesn't have a lot of wiggle room for patience. And because there's, there's restlessness from the fan base and more importantly, there's restlessness from above that you've spent a significant amount of assets. You've, you've already gone to a, to a point this year where this is a really big year for you because of some of the trades and signings last summer you, you got to make it happen. And so otherwise you'll get, you'll get fired as a GM and then it starts all over again. And and that's where that cycle is really dangerous. Like you talked about, get, you can get 10, 15 years, these long stretches of an organization being considered a loser because any GM who's worth anything is going to come in and, and want a bit of runway. And so essentially start over. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at these sort of four or five year chunks of time yeah. that get eaten up in a hurry. And that's exactly it. Because I can understand that fans don't have a lot of faith in management because of past mistakes and things they should have done differently. And maybe some of the contracts on the books now. And I understand that there's a legitimate discussion to be had about the past and how it affects the future. Those things are all true. But I think people kind of assume that as soon as Jim gets let go, somebody else comes in and all of, all of a sudden things look rosy again. It doesn't mean that necessarily because all of a sudden there's less patience again. And all of a sudden, yep. like you mentioned, what if they wanted to use two or three more years to figure out what's going on? And then that hole gets deeper, darker, and harder to cl- climb out of. Because the longer it takes for you to be a playoff team, the harder it will be for you to be a playoff team, right? So like all these factors are real factors. And, and, and I kind of get stuck in the middle because you know me, I love the analytics. I love uh, the asset management side and building properly and being patient. But when you've already spent four years in the, that darkness, this is the path you're on now. You have no choice but to get out of it. This is the pathway they chose as an organization. This is the road they've taken. And the only way out is by winning. It's not about losing again and trying to get more draft picks and trying to build for two or three more years. You've lost a plot when that happens. So now you've chosen that direction. You got to be aggressive with it. And I'll give the Canucks credit in this. At least they believe in the direction they're in. The soft season, they made their moves, and then they doubled down again at the deadline to get to Foley as well, and they are, they're open to other deals as well. At least they are taking advantage of that ELC window of Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, which is a reasonable thing to do, that if you have those guys on entry-level contracts, you feel like you can win, then be aggressive and take advantage of it. And they're doing that. So at the very least, they've chosen a proper, they've chosen a reasonable path and they're staying true to it. And I don't think they have a choice but to try to get out of this darkness because it's not as easy as, hey, we'll lose again next year, we'll figure it out. It's not that easy. Well, you're absolutely right because a couple things happen. You, if you s- almost give up on the year in a way and just say, all right, it's all about future, like that, that erodes the comp. You have to manage the relationship with both Pedersen, Hughes, anyone else that you're thinking about resigning. And their confidence in management, their confidence in the organization could potentially be hurt. 
And then that affects your contract negotiation with them as well. The other thing that ends up happening when you get in this, those sort of really tough losing cycles is it also changes your decisions on certain players because there's a player that makes a lot of sense for you to resign and, and bring back if you are however far, however you want to sort of quantify a rebuild, if you're 80% through it or whatever. I don't know if you're ever 100% through a rebuild. It's this constant move, right? But if, you're, if you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're like, all right, now we're a playoff team, it makes sense for us to mm. keep player X. If you're not a playoff team, it makes no sense to keep that player. It's about moving him out yes. for it because he's not a difference maker, but he's a great complementary piece. So you, like you said, you've already chosen this path. You're already down it. To change course now would be a disaster, I, in my view. You have to continue to go. I'm not saying that every decision is perfect. I'm not saying every mm-hmm. trade they're going to make between now and the deadline is going to be perfect and I'm going to agree with. But it is something where I look at this positives in the fact that this management team, at least I see, there are signs towards them learning from some past mistakes. That is better than them not learning from past mistakes. Yeah, those mistakes would be ideal if they didn't happen. There is some changes to their philosophy in terms of, of pro scouting, I believe, the types of players they bring in, what they're looking for. We've seen their their philosophy change through the draft over the course of Jim Benning's tenure. Um, and, and, and I believe that the pro scouting has changed a little bit in terms of what it is they're looking at. And part of that is because of the types of players they need because of the t- other types of assets they currently have. Well, and if you look at the strength of the Canucks management team, the way I rank them is overall, they're an average group. They're not geniuses. They're not the best two or three, five organizations management-wise. They're also not as dumb as people want you to believe that they are, that they're the dumbest front office in the league. They're in a bottom third. They are right in the middle, which obviously people want to see a front office. That's top two or three. But if you have an average front office, you give yourself a chance. So I think the truth of this front office is they're right in that middle because if you look at the amateur scouting they've done look at the high level talent they've acquired now too and and how they're developing that is super positive now some of the pro stuff hasn't been great although to your point look at jt miller tanner pearson some of these additions have been far better josh lebo trade for instance so a lot of things have happened on the pro side that has improved so overall i give them an average grade as a front office and if you have an average front office you have a chance so that's the truth about where they're at but this whole losing aspect, I think people look over too much. You've been in locker rooms. You know what a tough situation is like. And I think people just assume that things can change so quickly, that all it takes is one more year and that magical pick comes in and Pedersen's going to be fine. Because in today's NHL too, you're selling your young guys on this being the place to play. You want Pedersen to take a relatively team-friendly deal? Well, you got to show him that this is the place yeah. where you can win. Well, and you've, I look at it like you've already had your magical picks. Like you've you've got Pedersen and Hughes that are were drafted outside of where they should have been drafted, like that's your your core foundation going forward. Build around that. Keep going. Like to to expect another top ten pick to hit like the, those guys both did is that's tough to do, right? So you're you're right that the the cultural piece is massive. The the losing mentality. The world is full of of traps and temptation to just back away from greatness like that is the reality of what goes on in the world and professional sports are, are that to a t it is so important that you build that good culture surround the good players with with other winners with people who and i don't mean winners like necessarily this person's a champion or not but people who have winning attitudes winning mentalities winning work habits they have those championship habits that's really important because the easier choices 
always to not do the right thing. It, it's always that way. And that's that's something, you know, really hit home with me last week during that absolutely exhausting tribute to the Sedins. Yeah. I mean it in the most positive way. The whole week was consumed by memories of these guys. But what did we hear about constantly? The work ethic, the, how the, it was almost unacceptable to to not work as hard as you could because of the, the leadership and the, the tone being set at the top of that dressing room with the Sedin twins. Well, that, that's, you need that going forward because it's, it's so, and these are guys coming from all different organizations and, and like, it's not common to have that ultra high level of work ethic. And that is part of that is the culture of a group, the way the group pushes each other, pushes themselves and, and pulls each other up. It's something that is really valuable. And as you start to build that, you, you don't want any mm-hmm. of that losing culture, any of that mentality to creep in. Well, and I understand some of the concern about the offseason. People are looking at the salary cap situation yes. and saying what's going to happen. That's, That's a legitimate hey, concern. For sure. 100% it is. I do believe there are pathways to clear some of this stuff up. I mean, we've gone through Louis Erickson thing. He gets a $3 million bonus come uh, middle of July. Then he's owed $5 million over the next couple of years. And I think, this is my opinion, that if the Canucks squeeze him and say, hey, you're going to spend two years in Utica, I don't think he's going to have any desire to do that. And... Listen, $5 million is still a lot of money, but you can factor in taxes They're, and everything. They are having an outdoor game. He might next year. He, <laughs> he might, might want to be a part of He might want to play the outdoor game. Yeah. No, to be honest, though, like, um, I, too, am getting a $3 million bonus on July 1st. And I think yeah. I'm just going to quit. He's going to quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think there is an out there because, you know, you can't put a price on happiness. And I'm not saying that Louis has been miserable because he's actually been getting a chance to play a lot more recently, too. But I think he sees a writing on the wall. And it's very obvious that his future here, especially in a year or so, is going to be spending time in Utica and riding buses. And I think there's an out on that. And I think Brandon Sutter with how he's played, and if he plays well here the rest of the way and stays healthy, there's an avenue to trade him in the final year of his contract. Well, because center depth is going to be needed. Right. So I think you can clear up to eight to ten million, depending on if you retain some salary, get a recapture or something. So you have that pathway. And if the Canucks want to be bold and recoup some draft picks, well, they can make a bold move. Like for instance, and I'm not saying the Canucks should do this, but just as far as giving the people the possibilities that exist, because people wonder, hey, what else can you do to get picks, and what else can you do to get assets, and what else can you do to clear cap space? Well, that's a cap space size of things, side of things. And what if you can sign Tyler Toffoli? And all of a sudden, it makes somebody else expendable. And yeah. Jake Vertanen, if you don't want to pay him the money because he's, he's got ARP rights, yeah. guess what? He's a very good tradable asset he, all of a sudden. He, he'll be an interesting decision this summer for sure. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you have options. I think people assume that Canucks are capped out and have no assets. If they make a couple of smart moves and they can be a little bold here, there's a way to put themselves in another position this summer where they have $30 million in cap space plus some additional assets that give you help for the future or more ammunition to make moves. Well, I agree with that. And, and there's also some interesting things developing on the back end too. Yeah. When, when you look at, you got some, some pending UFAs, you got guys who there's, there's question marks around, and, but there's also some nice development from some prospects. So it's like, okay, is, is there... Do we have enough confidence in what we have coming that that somebody's expendable and and that frees up some space and and rosters like there there are options there is there are ways to get out from under some money um, it's the difficult thing is if you have to sweeten the pot too much yeah. then it's what are you having to do but I, I agree with you I, I think you there are there are some escape clauses from some of these things and but that is. That is the reality, and it's interesting. The, the fans, it's, it's fantastic that there's so much information. Yes. There's been this transformation in the fan has gone from somebody who, who 
watches the games and some like you know traditionally like some fans would know a tremendous amount about hockey like but the ins and outs of the business side was sort of foreign to the average fan nowadays with all the information and and all the media that covers it and all and, and also the publicity that surrounds CBA negotiations i think that's part of it it's driven mm-hmm. an industry of learning about it if if i'm going to miss hockey because of this and it's that important that players are going to miss seasons. And, and like from a fan looking at it, if I'm going to miss being able to watch it, I want to understand why it's important. They learn about it. And then it's like all the, all the people on, on social media who are delving into all this information. But I'll, the average fan is almost just armed with enough information to make themselves dangerous in a way, right? Like you, you have just enough to, to have some concern, but not really fully mm-hmm. grasp all of it. It is an important impossible document to fully understand the collective bargaining agreement that is but there's there's so much more information out there that people people really are interested in and that's great for the game but it also makes some of this some of it a little bit of it's not necessarily accurate some of the angst some of the worry there are ways to get out from some of these contracts and and free up some cap space but what's important is you always have that balance of a pipeline of prospects and development coming and that is the balance of the future and the present. Because in order to get out from some of the cap issues, you then have to have people who can replace yes. the people, the players and mm-hmm. be on cheaper deals. Because if it's if it's dollar for dollar, it doesn't make a lot of sense, unless it's a drastic improvement on the player. But if it's about getting out from underneath that cap, you need to be able to implement and infuse your roster with some good young talent as well. And that's why you're constantly balancing the draft and that's why the amateur scouting is so good because as your team gets better you're going to be picking later and later but you still need to have some good players coming in well you absolutely do and uh, i am not minimizing the need to have draft picks and prospects like i yep. think it is the lifeblood of an organization to constantly have picks and prospects to keep supplementing your core yep. you have to do that but i think the, the reality too is as much as we get caught up in the analytical stuff, and you're right, the fan base is so much more informed, and I love the passion. The fact that people care this much, that they get this worked up over things, to me is a great sign, because you care and you love the team, and yeah. I respect people for having to investing this much time, this much emotion, and being this invested in a sport. I mean, it drives us for our jobs, it drives the sport itself, so I have a lot of time for it. But as much as we spend so much time on fantasy hockey, on armchair GMs, playing video games and all this sort of stuff, which gives us an idea of how to build teams. The reality is, as much as the unquantifiable character stuff, the culture stuff, it's hard to quantify it, but it has a real tangible value. And you have to merge the two. It can't just be six or seven years of building assets. It's not like a video game. Like even in video games, they have what's called morale. Like, if a player is in a bad situation for three years, the player's morale goes down. He asks for a trade. And that's even more so when it comes to the reality of, of running a National Hockey League team. And it's just one of those situations where I understand where the passion is coming from, but the Canucks have to start winning. It's about winning now. You've spent enough time losing. That's done with. You have to reframe your mind when it comes to what success is for this team. Well, that's true. And, and it's it's interesting when you think about some of the um, – like, those, those – the points you made there about it's it's not just a video game and i i do th- it's funny because some fans have this incredible ability to almost sterilize the situation and remove emotion at times and and the human aspect mm-hmm. of it some fans get extremely emotional about it but what what is interesting is i as i study more in terms of leadership in the business world and what it takes to be 
a strong business leader and a business owner, so much of it is about investing time in relationships, investing in the personal side of it. The people are so important. And that is something that is, like you said, yeah, there's morale on a, on a video game, but at the same time, it, it's it's a very difficult thing to put a a value on yeah. in terms of a, a number on an index or a number on a chart of how valuable that is. But what's so important is that you you stick to your core values as, as a person and as an organization. And so you're right, there's this constant, balance between it all. And if you are looking to optimize talent, if you're looking to optimize performance, then the mood, the the energy level, the the goodwill, the feelings that you have towards your employer, towards your teammates, you want that to be as high as possible because you you are essentially and and this is something that I always sort of step back and look at. What we are asking these players to do when you actually are considering what they're capable of and, and performing at the highest level, what you're asking these guys to do is almost not human and it's almost not possible. It is possible and it is something a human can do, but it's peak performance type stuff and you want to optimize everything yeah. about what's going on and, and the mood, the energy, the how you deal and interact with people. Like To me, the days of just kind of washing your hands, oh, it's business, kid. Like, yeah, it is a business, but you're going to get more out of me if you treat me better. And that's part of it too. Yeah, there's a a lot of aspects to where the Canucks are at. And, you know, you choose that path the Canucks have taken. You missed the playoffs four years in a row. You got to start winning. And that's that's the reality of where they're at. And the the overwhelming sentiment I'm getting, like, so the the trade happens. A few people just around town at school pick up. What do you think of the trade? And I'm like, you know what? They're better today than they were yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um. I would love I would love the deal if Levo and Besser were still healthy because yeah. it would mean like this is a team. You look at you look at them on the right side, you look at their flexibility, you look at their depth. This is this is some legitimate offense they've got going on right now. Um I love the fact that we're talking about a team who's in the mindset of acquisition, not what can we get for our aging expiring contracts. Instead, it's how can we be better? How can we win? And there's nothing like Vancouver in the playoffs. I'm so excited at the par- prospect of that being what's what's occurring here uh, this year. Well, let's spend a few minutes on how the team is trending. Because as much as we're talking about, hey, this was a fine move to make, the division is wide open, you know, they've dropped a lot of points recently. Yes. You know, uh, and the last couple of games, as much as against the Minnesota Wild, they deserved a better fate. I thought they played a pretty good team game overall. We talked about the process. They outshot and outchanced the opposition. They dictated the pace of the game for large parts. The disappointing part was you had a 3-2 lead in the third period. You went into a defensive shell again. You couldn't get out. They scored. They tied it. You get to shoot out. Anything can happen. But regardless of whether they played well against Minnesota or not, you dropped three out of a possible four points against teams you you should be beating at this point. And that margin of error that Canucks had created for themselves for building all those victories is pretty much evaporated now. And now with 22 games remaining, they essentially have to win 12 to 13 of those games to ensure a playoff spot. Like now it gets real. And they can't really afford all to stub their toes very much more. I mean, you got a team coming in, the Boston Bruins, fortunately, it's their third game in four nights coming off a of back-to-back. So maybe they're a bit ripe for the picking. Then you go on the Eastern road trip. Like now you're at a point where you got to start reeling off some wins. Otherwise, you're going to put yourself in a hole and you may not make the playoffs. Well, you're right about that. It's definitely a... Um 
what seemed inevitable in terms of you know just just a week or two ago, like this team would make the playoffs. It's 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 a bit precarious. Yeah. For the record, I still think they're going to get in. I do too, because when you when you say that and you're like, you know, what like thirteen wins in twenty two games, like that's 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 a pace that is very doable for yes. this team. But you're right. If 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 the injuries mount more, if there's a dip in any significant area of the game, special teams or goaltending, that that could really affect things. Absolutely. Um, and and the buffer and the they need to be closer to perfect because they're they're missing some an important player in Brock Besser. I mean, he, I know he hasn't been producing at the rate that a lot of people would like to see, but he's still an integral piece of this you know, the forward group yes. and the, the way the top line operates and the power play and all of those sorts of things. So he's a guy that's going to be sorely missed. And this team needs to, needs to play well at a really difficult time of year when everybody is ramping up and mm-hmm. trying to, to obviously solidify their playoff spot. Um, because you're right. I mean, to your point earlier, it's about winning. It's about this team taking a step, a big step. And when they've, they've shown the promise they have this year, the expectations have gone up. And for them, it's getting into the playoffs is, is going to be a, a really crucial step for this group. And they've, they can't afford to have a dip. They can't afford to slip. I will say this. They're, to me, they look a little bit out of sync and a little bit maybe some of the time off. But big picture, that time off is good. Mm. Like it, that rest right. is good. Like they, they're just a bit out of rhythm. And I'm not saying that's the only reason. Like I, I think last week was an extremely emotional week. Um, think that has a toll in a, in a, but in a big picture positive way, but it's in the moment, it's kind of sucks some energy. Um, but you know, you're, you're taking the rest and yeah, you're not playing every night or back to back nights. And so you've got that rhythm and that feel, hopefully they can find that again on the road trip and, and start that off on the right foot with the, with a big game against the Bruins, but they, they need to get back in sync. They need to get feeling good about their game again. Yeah, and this has kind of been the pr- process for this team this season where they're evolving as a team, they're gaining more confidence, and they're kind of growing as a group, but they're not past the stage yet where they may not still be fragile, right? And mm. when all of a sudden the losses start mounting up, the team made the trade deadline acquisition as well, the pressure starts getting higher and higher, and if you can't start winning, that's when things can snowball. I know we've talked about this before as well. The positive is the last time the the Canucks seemed on the verge of teetering and was that loss against Montreal 3-1 and it seemed like hell was freezing over yeah. and they reeled off a bunch of wins and they got go- they got going again. They're not quite at that critical mass point like they were in that Montreal game, but they're getting close to that. And if you do believe in this group, well, they've shown that they can get past it and they should get past it again. Well, and that, that, this is what I really liked about the team all year long is, is the way they've been able to respond. Now, maybe there's been times where it's like, all right, I want to see the response in this game, but it happens two games later. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they haven't let it get away from them. And there have been a couple of critical times where it easily could have gone the other way, and then we'd be talking about something completely different at this time of year. So I have I do have faith that the, the coaches are going to know what buttons to push to get the guys back on track and that the players are going to come out and execute at a, at a higher level. And, and, but that'll be crucial. And because as you introduce new pieces, as you make those trades, as players are removed due to injury, there's always different, obviously the, the chemistry is a little bit different, but you also have different pressures mm-hmm. and different pressure points. And this it's getting real now, right? It's, they're not, it's, it's not so much that they're playing with house money. Like it probably felt like at some point this season. Now it's like, all right, the playoffs are there. This is what we want to do. We can feel the buzz. Can we push it across the finish line? This will be a great test for the Canucks. Yeah, it will be a massive test. And we'll get into 
what else might the Canucks do? What are the possibilities? I know a lot of people are wondering, can the Canucks make more deals at the deadline? Who's available? We'll get to that. And also, Ask Alex Anything is back right here on the Canucks pod. Hard. What's the difference between a hypotenuse and a hippopotamus? Does the puck hurt? Why do you get treated so many times? Do you have a favorite stuffed animal? What's the difference between VH and RVH? Do you like pickles? Why are houses so expensive in Vancouver? Um, uh, I forgot my question. We're back here on the Canucks pod, Satyar Shaw with Alex Ald. It is Ask Alex Anything. The intro, it sounds amazing. It does. Yeah, I've, I've missed it. Yes. Good to, uh, thank you to everyone sending in your questions. It's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. We have lots of questions and always nice to hear your kids singing and uh, playing along as well. Yeah, I, get, I get to hear them singing and playing sometimes <laughs> nicely, sometimes not all the time. But you're right, for you who... Uh, I don't see them as much this, anymore. Yeah, you don't see them as much, but they're they're still... Doing big things out there oh, in the world. I'm, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, both of them Asking are lots of questions. Very inquisitive. Mm-hmm. I wonder where they got the curiosity from. I don't know. Because you're not a curious person at all. <laughs> curiosity is very important. <laughs> yes, I know. Very important. It is. It's outstanding. All right. Well, let's just delve into Ask Alex Anything. And let's start with deadline questions. Because I know this is the big, big topic uh, with the Canucks already making a trade to get Tyler Toffoli. And what else might they do ahead of Monday's deadline? So here's one from Leif Rolin. Can they get a jump on off-season cap-clearing moves? I don't think this is going to be the time to make cap-clearing moves for the Canucks because that probably means trading guys like Brandon Sutter, and they probably need him here for this playoff. Well, that, this is always the interesting thing at this time of year, right? Like, there, there's a reason buyers are buyers and mm-hmm. sellers are sellers. And it is very difficult at this time of year to do both. There are the odd times where someone can get out from a contract and and it and it's like a perfect fit for both teams. That's a tough thing to do because like you said, you, you want that center depth. You want those... Yay, mm-hmm. I get it. The contract for Brandon Sutter isn't ideal long-term going forward in terms of the what you get in return, but I'd feel a lot better about the team's playoff chances with Brandon Sutter in your line. I don't think uh, Travis Green would be okaying a Brandon Sutter trade at this point. No, and I I, I, I I can't speak for Travis and say in the offseason uh, he'll he'll try to stop it as well. But right now, uh, I, I see no way they're trading well, you, Brandon you Sutter. Well, you're, you're looking at different things, right? Yeah. Like offseason trades are more long-term, more about yes. building, like organizational building, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the in-season, it's more about roster construction in, in the immediate future. It's right now, what's in front of us, What's going to get us as far as we can this playoff year? Uh, absolutely. Ian Seggy says, trade deadline has my uh, has me very curious. So much noise on Canucks Twitter. What's your honest take on possible trades and outcomes by Monday? Well, what I think is that the, the Canucks are, are going to be active in terms of pursuing things. Whether yes. and, and you can't it's almost impossible to predict what like how many trades mm-hmm. because you never know what the walking away point is. And it's not just like, you're, we're not just analyzing Jim Benning and his group in this. It's, it's, you're looking at everybody. There's so many moving parts. And what ends up happening is you, you can be really active. You can be in on a lot of things, but none of them fall your way or all of a sudden three or four of them fall your way. And it, and it really just fits and lines up. It is difficult to, to accurately predict those types of things. But what I will say is I, I think they're, they're active in terms of their, their contact reaching out, um, they are 
looking at doing things that make this team better. And mm-hmm. as long as it as long as it makes sense and doesn't completely mortgage the future. And I know some people will think, well, they already have because there there's a lot of concern over the lack of of picks at the top of this draft and all of those sorts of things. And that's why they're running out of those future assets to move on from. And and that's why I don't know what they can get done, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's still more moves. Well, I think they're definitely working the phones and, you know, we'll get to the defensive side of things because there's a lot of questions about, hey, what should the Canucks be adding? And we'll get to that in a second. But as far as you've heard names like Brogan Rafferty even being thrown out, I don't see Brogan Rafferty getting moved, especially for rental. I don't think that's happening. We've heard Ole Olevi's name being thrown out. And that's the one that I can't sit here and say I have information that they're shopping him and they're ready to trade him for a rental. But what I do believe is that his ranking in the prospect system has really fallen. Yeah. I don't, I, you know how Jim talked about we have seven, eight prospects. I'm not sure that Olevi falls into that seven to eight category. I think he might be below that line because. The injuries have derailed his development to some degree. His skating is problematic right now. I try to watch some Utica Comets games, and this is just my opinion watching him play. He's going to have to do a lot of work to retrain his body to get faster, to get quicker. And that seems like a big project for me. He's already 22 years old. So my opinion is that Ulevi's stature in the prospect ranking is falling down. Does that mean to trade him for a rental? I don't know. I know people have thrown that out there, but I know he's not considered a top prospect for the team right now. Grafferty, I don't think gets moved. But if you're looking at Trampkin, if you're looking at Ulevi, those are guys I could see them peddling right now to see if they can add something. Well, I could see that too, especially if where the value, like there are certain certain players um, that their their value is more set because of they have a, like you know when you think about adding a rental at the deadline, the values are a little bit more set because okay, there's a track record on this player. He's, he's every year he scores this many goals, whatever, and, and this is his contract, etc. Mm-hmm. This is what players similar have gone for. When you're talking about prospects, especially ones who are removed from their draft, as far as a guy like Yulevi is, it is you have an internal ranking on what you think of this player. And if some team comes to you with a deal that is positive for you and how far off that is and how it's skewed in terms of where that team ranks a player, it, that would not surprise me because somebody may still view that as, as, as something they're willing to do. And you may end up in a situation where this is this is a, a guy another team wants, and you still like the player, you still like the kid, but hey, like you, the, the point you made about all the work, he's got to go into Ole Levy to reach sort of almost the baseline again. It, there's a couple things that come to mind. Is the player willing to do it? I don't know anything about Ole Levy to know. No, he's a hard worker, or yes, he is, like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Is he willing to? And will his body hold up yeah. to what's required? That that's a massive question mark because you're you're looking at a body that's already broken down. Is it able to hold up to the extreme pressure you're going to put on it to try and almost accelerate development and take you know what what was a few years of development and cram it into a year or two? And and can the body handle that? So and and a guy like Trampkin is is almost there's a there's a bonus in a guy like that. It's like, okay, so somebody who doesn't factor in. But long term, there's a mm-hmm. he factors in because he's an asset. Can we recoup something? Can we get something that's that's better in our eyes than what his upside is here with us? And and only they know those realities of where they view players like that. Yeah, and we've seen Adam Gaudet's name be mentioned. From what I've uh, been able to gather, I think I, I think he's just been whispered. I don't think he's been actually no, no, mentioned. No, it's no, just no. been whispered. Just been whispers. But I, I think the reality with. Godet is that teams are asking about Godet when the Canucks call and say, "Hey, yeah. Tyler Foley, what do you think?" Yeah, LA is saying is like, "Hey, what about Adam Godet?" And you go through the list. So I think when the Canucks inquire 
about players that Godet's name comes up. And from what I can gather, they've rebuked a lot of that stuff. If they move Godet, it's part of a bigger deal, a bolder deal for a player whose age range and contract fits in long term. So if they make a move like that, like a bigger, splashier deal that involves a few more pieces, that's something for a significant addition, top six or top four defenseman that fits in long term. And hey, I have no problems with trading guys that make your team better. We talk about this all the time. You have your untouchables and the rest, you're always open for business. Right. I don't think Godet's going anywhere. If he does, it's part of a bigger deal. But I would say some of the rumors around him should be quelled to some degree that don't expect anything imminent on his front. Well, that's the thing, right? So say you talk to 10 teams as a, as a GM and of those 10 teams, you know, the other GMs keep bringing up the same people. That doesn't mean that that person's in trade talks, right? Like that just means that other teams are interested mm-hmm. in certain players. And He's, a, he's He's been a, a good young player who continues to develop. And I, I think what this season has done for Adam Goddard is, he, you know, you, you see him come out of college and he has that that great final year. Um, and you're like, okay, well, there's potential here, but what's the ceiling? And and you can see him continue to push it, right? And so you're like, all right, I think there, there's more interest, more intrigue. And then the other teams around the league look at the Canucks at the center ice position and say, mm-hmm. all right, maybe this is a... This is a player that a team would be willing to move on from, so we're going to ask about him. And but that doesn't mean he's he's being shopped by any means. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, here's a question from uh, at Canucks Jays: What two legit prospects would you be willing to part with to get a winger for Bo? And so let's assume it's a second line winger guy that has some term left on his contract. If we're looking at legitimate prospects. I mean, I'd be okay with moving. You know, I don't know if Ulevi fits in, but I'd be okay with trading him for a guy that has some term left. Ulevi and Cole Lind. And I I like Cole Lind, but if you get a guy that can fit in longer term as a second line player, those are guys that I'd be willing to. I think it almost needs to be refined more. Yes. Like like, what's the age of the player? What's the age of the winger for Bo? What's the contract? Like you said, he's under term. Is he on a deal? That's a steal, right? That's that's why, I, I mean, let's just say it's a second line guy, a guy that gets you 20 to 40, 20 goals, 40 some points, has a few years left on his contract, yeah. is in his, in his mid-20s that fits into the long-term projection. I'd be willing to move Ulevi. I'd be willing to move Colin for guys yeah. like that. Now, I don't want to move Hoglander. I'm not moving Rafferty. I am not moving Put Colson. Um, I like to hold on to the goalies till after the season. I'm not doing anything with those guys. And I do th- like a guy by the name of Aiden McDonough a lot. I think he has potential and he's growing. So I, I want to hold on to him. Jet Wu, I think, has taken a bit of a step back this season. So I want to hold on to him and let him develop his game a bit more. So those are the guys that I'm okay with moving if he gets somebody that's a longer-term fit. Yeah, it's it, it, like hypotheticals are yes, so tough. And I, and I know. I mean, it's it's hard to have real... Like there could be somebody who just... It's, it's so attractive to bring in. You're 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 yes. willing to push up a little bit. Of course. And, and some of it is contractual for sure. Um, but but I'm not willing to part with a lot of these prospects for rentals. No, like, not, we, not rentals. We've, we've already seen that. We've seen, we've seen them yeah. do that. And I don't... I don't mind it for one guy, right? But to do that for multiple people um, and, and it just be a rental guy for one season, that's or a quarter of a season, really, that's that's tough to do too many times, especially in the same year. Uh, here's another question on the deadline from at the only Stoey. Why Simmons? Why is there an objective case for acquiring this player that illustrates how it makes a team better in a substantial way? Well, the latest on Simmons is, is that it's unlikely the Canucks are able to acquire him because of the cap situation. Besser might come back before the end of the season. You need LTIR all year to put Simmons in. And honestly, considering some of the deadline prices, he's a rental. I don't think the Canucks are willing to really trade anything significant. They've made their deal for rentals already. I think the Simmons stuff was always 
this is a guy we could potentially acquire if the cost is low and we can fit him in cap-wise. Once they made the Toffoli deal, to me, Simmons became less of a need for this team. If they do anything, to me, it's on the back end. And if they add any other forwards, it's a cheaper depth option up front that costs less than Wayne Simmons. But as far as Simmons the player, what would he bring to a playoff contender? It's any any time you have a history of scoring. I think a lot of people always think, "Well, there's potential that mm-hmm. you know could, could he help your power play?" Yeah, he could, but he, there's also reality that he doesn't make it better at all, and there's no. also reality he doesn't even get an opportunity on yes. the power play. Right? I I never really thought that that was a move the Canucks should make. Um, again, that's in a vacuum, not knowing what the price would have been. I viewed I, I I view Simmons as a guy who was sort of a plan B, plan C, mm-hmm. like let's kick the tires on this, let's have this sort of let's think about this sort of scenario in case now that Tafoli's in the mix, um I, I see that as being very unlikely. At the same time, there is a there is a a toughness and size element mm-hmm. that the Canucks management group does like that I could see this this being something they go after, but I I think the cost of acquisition would be too high um, at right around the deadline. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I like the way they're going. I do, I agree with you. I think that's you've you've given uh, this this decor a season to see where they're at, and if that's where you, you know where you want to add, probably be there, bring some depth in there, and it wouldn't be somebody who's massively significant in my view either. It's but it's going to be someone who just upgrades your bottom slot a little bit. I think that's the more realistic aspect of things too because I just don't see... Here, My thing is in Vern uh, at VNOP40 asked the question, are we going to improve our defense here at the deadline? Because to me, if you're spending any more assets, whether it's for a rental or for a player with term left, I'd rather focus on the defensive side of things. To me, that's a bigger need for this team. And if, if I had to guess, despite what Jim Benning had to say, that, hey, they're, they're feel good about their defense, and I'm not calling them a liar, this time of year, you got to keep your cars yeah. close to the vest. You have to uh, be a bit pragmatic about what you're saying and what you're doing, especially to the media this time of year. So... That's just par for the course and what's happening. But I do believe that's something they, they should be looking at more. And I wouldn't be surprised they are looking at more because I'm because I'm sure if you ask the coaching staff, hey, what's an area we want to improve the most is probably on that back end a little bit. So I look at that. And if you're going to make a bold move to me, that's the one you make a bold move in. If you want to trade something significant, not for a rental, though, I'm not for a rental defenseman unless it costs you next to nothing and he comes in as a depth defenseman. But I, I'd say the defense is something to take a look at. And if you see something big happen, then I think it is for a defender. Well, you're right. I, I think the chances of something significant on the back end happening are pretty low. Um, just just because it's, it would involve... A lot of moving pieces. A lot of moving pieces and a lot of, a lot of cap. Like yeah. there, There's a lot going on there. Traditionally, that has been more difficult to pull off in season than in the offseason. Mm-hmm. So I would expect something like that to be more likely around the draft perhaps. However, it's and then this is where at first when the, when the question was asked, I'm like I, I could see them making some changes to the D. I don't know that it makes them significantly better on a night to night basis, but it would increase and improve their depth on the back end, which would help a prolonged run, uh, make you less susceptible to injury, less susceptible to poor play because maybe you have a few more interchangeable parts in the six six seven mm-hmm. spot. Um, depending on opponent, depending on play. But I don't know that it makes a massive difference on a night-to-night basis. But depth is an important thing. So I would say it's more likely on that sort of the depth piece. But you're right. I I, I do think the organization is at a point where they're looking at 
at this in terms of some some longer term fits. And so it it almost in a way it almost kind of goes against what some people fear and that oh they're mortgaging their future. You're always mortgaging your future by trading away prospects. What you have to look at is what what future they're looking at. What is the window they're focusing mm-hmm. on? And to me, it's this year and the next couple of years are their real prime areas of focus. And so if they can get somebody who fits in that window a little bit better than maybe a Jet Wu, then then maybe that's a move they make, right? Like it's and I'm and I, yeah. again, it's about when they want to really focus and dial in on on trying to be a legit contender. And it all depends on what you're going after. I yeah. mean, Coda asked the question, what about fixing the depth on the defense? And I have a name for the depth. And uh, we had another comment here um, from David Nugent asking, what right-handed defenseman can come in and take pressure off Hughes and play up to 20 minutes a game? So let's start with Coda's question on depth. One guy that I'd be looking at is a guy like Luke Shen. Because he's shown he can play here in the past, he can play the right side, can play with um, Quinn Hughes. He gives you a little bit of depth, and he probably doesn't cost you a lot. Now Tampa may want to hold on to him anyways because yep. you know they're a team that's a contender. They may we may, may want to have the depth, but a player like him, I'm fine with adding if it costs as little because he can actually help you out and give you something a little different. To David's question, if you're looking at a bigger right-handed defenseman if, as part of a bigger deal, I like Matt Dumbo a lot. In Minnesota. Bigger contract. It takes a lot to acquire, but if you want to be bold, if you want to add a player that fits long-term, excellent player, right-hand shot, mid-20s, contract for years, would be here with this core, I wouldn't be afraid of making that move. If he's available, of course. But outside of that, those are names I kind of throw out, but it's very unlikely they add a Matt Dumba. It's more likely a depth defenseman like Luke Shen gets acquired, but even Luke Shen may not be the ideal fit because of Tampa Bay, but those are the names that that I'd be looking at. If Luke Shen would have signed on a team that was out of it. Yeah. I think that deal gets done. Yeah, because he, part of the risk is removed, right? The mm-hmm. risk of the fit and like the, the role and because we saw how well he, like how he excelled in here last yeah. year in that role, right? I, I, I'd be surprised if Tampa is looking to shed depth, right? Like, and, and especially since the Canucks aren't in a situation where they're going to give something that's going to really help them back. No, like I it, mean, it's... Maybe you never know. There's, yeah. there's Could always you do that. maybe like a Phantomberg and add a seventh or something? Could they get a depth player back that fits differently? And listen, I'm just throwing maybe. this stuff out there, right? The like question, maybe the question I like had that. about this question: the 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 right D is is this is this to play alongside Hughes? In your, your no, assumption? I think it's pressing, taking pressure off Hughes, so you don't have to rely on him as much on the right side, which. Honestly, I'm not too worried about relying too much on Quinn Hughes and you have Myers as well on the right side. But if Stetcher's not a long term fit. Yeah, I, I look at it that I don't know. I just I just feel like they're if Hughes goes on the right, it's because they just want him on the ice more. Yeah, like, like it's, he can play either. Yeah, side. like yeah. I, I think it's just one of those situations where this is a guy they're they're all in on, and and I I do think finding an ideal partner for him is mm-hmm. is something that is I don't think it's going to spend a, they're going to spend a lot of time on. It's one of those things where when you find it with an elite level defenseman and you have a really good complementary partner, that's someone you want to. You want to keep around and keep happy, um, but yeah, I, I I get it. Like a, a name like a Dumba, if you can make that work, makes sense. But it's it's a difficult thing to do at this time of year because of all the money involved and all the all the pieces that go both directions. Uh, a lot more questions. We'll try to squeeze in as many as possible. And as far as the defense goes, uh, D Handel on Twitter says, what about the Canucks defensive zone coverage? Since Travis Green started coaching the team, they have always had trouble in their own end. How can the Canucks improve their defensive structure? That's a question from D Handel. Well, part of it is, hey, at the end of the day, part of it is your 
having young centermen. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know, like I, I like Elias Pettersson as a player a lot. And I've been, I've praised his, his effort on defense. But his, his reads are still growing. His defensive reads are still something that's a work in progress. And so what ends up happening when you have, and, and Horvat's the same way, like it's, there's improvement. But if your centers don't innately get it, the defensive zone coverage, then things get really difficult. So that's part of it as well. Part of it is the uh, everyone being on the same page. Um, as, and as much as we can, we can think we know what the system is by watching the team, mm-hmm. we, can, we know what's sort of being executed. We don't know exactly what they're being told and what they're being taught and the way they're being coached and how that messaging is, is occurring in the dressing room. It's, I'll say this. They're lucky they're getting the goaltending they're getting because yes. Markstrom is covering up a lot. It is a very difficult environment for a mm-hmm. goaltender, yes. <laughs> this team. Um, part of it is, you know, though that's twofold, though. It's like, all right, that gives us the confidence to play a certain way, uh, and we believe that you know, Mark, Markstrom is going to make these saves and we can score enough that we're going to get out of any trouble. But it, it can be problematic, and if you come up against the wrong matchup in the playoffs, it can be disastrous. Uh, it absolutely can be. I think that's an area the Canucks have to improve on, and that's what we talk about. Can you add more to the blue line and solidify that aspect of things as well? Uh, let's try to squeeze in a couple more questions here for Ask Alex Anything. Uh, a lot of great ones, and I'm sorry we can't get to every single one of them. Uh, Van City Chick at Helen K. Peterson. Jake is our RFA at the end of the season. What do you think they will have to qualify him at? Also, do you think there's a chance he might be offer sheeted this offseason? Well, what does he make right now? He makes about 1. 1.2, 1. So, 1.2 million. So 1. they have 2. to 5. qualify him at that. They have to qualify yeah. him at that. The qualifier is, yeah. is what he makes. Yes. Um, it, the, the arbitration piece will be interesting. And if he hits 20 goals, he's going to yeah. have a pretty good case for at least 2.5 to 3 million per year. Yeah, and it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see this will be a contract that's interesting to watch because I, there's been a lot of improvement, but I still believe that there'd be some who'd be like, I don't know if that's what we want to invest. Mm-hmm. If this is the player we want to invest that type of money in. And I, I, yeah, I know it's not six, seven million a year, but he's also not that impactful a player. So, you know, all relative to it all, it's got to be, is this somebody who we believe is going to continue to push to get better um, and he could also be an asset that other teams want. So he could be a valuable piece um, in, in trade in terms of, of being able to acquire somebody who you think is a better fit or is a better uh, better long-term asset for this organization. So the, if he gets the 20 goals, and it depends how, you know, arbitration obviously throws a wrinkle in it, but if, if you're looking at it from a negotiation point of view, how badly does he want to stay? What type of term are they talking uh, it, he'll be fascinating to watch his negotiation. I think uh, my opinion is the Canucks probably look at getting him to a one or two year deal. And it's like, hey, you've done great. Let's yeah. do it again. And then we'll invest you in a longer term. And as far as him getting offer sheeted, obviously these things can happen. But generally the offer sheets we've seen are for bigger players like Ajo who's a legitimate yeah. star player. I don't think uh, there's a big risk of Jake being offer sheeted. No, I don't. I don't think so either. It's like you said, it's the it's the bigger name guys that are we're seeing the offer sheet. And and that's obviously something that's always changing too because of the the failed offer sheet last year by Montreal. Does that, will someone else, does that deter people from wanting to do it or does that change sort of the way a, a team might structure it? 
because Carolina obviously ended up matching it. We'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, a couple more questions to get to here. This one from Walter Protection. Do more La- uh, Lord Stanley's ring bearers gathered in a locker room have a positive impact on never been to the playoff crowd? Yes. This is, is like, is this, is, I feel like the, is the question legit or is it being facetious? I, I'm not sure. Uh, Cam yeah. Barrett uh, decided to put this one in here. So we're going no, with legitimate. I'm not questioning why it was in there. Let's take it on face value. Look, ex- take it on face uh, value. Experience is important. Again, one of those difficult things to quantify mm-hmm. and put a, put a hard number on it. But I will say this, you, we, we talked a lot about culture. We talked a lot about um, example you set and, there have been countless times, like you're in a tough spot and, and the, the players are talking, like to hear a story from, from somebody who's like, well, you know, whatever, we were in this situation and this is what we did. Wow, that's possible? Like, okay, like you come down, you can come back from being down 3-1 in a series, you can come back. And, and I, I still remember that uh, when we were, we were down, um, down to St. Louis in round one in uh, 03, I guess it was, and we came back and won. And to know, to realize like what it what it took to come back from a three one deficit. Different players talked about it. We talked about how it's just just got to take it one game at a time. You don't think about having to win four, all of those types of things. And then you realize it's doable. It's because someone someone is there with experience who can show you a path, can show you some light, and and shed some experience, right? And say, hey, this is this is what's worked for us before. It's a blueprint. Uh, Shyster asks, why is Louis Erickson playing over Zach McEwen? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> I think it's because of the defensive value that Louis's been able to yeah. bring to that line. Um, but some of that, like the other night against Minnesota, should have scored at least two or three goals. Had wide open nets, couldn't put it in, and I see him kind of struggling a little bit too, getting caught. Like I'd rather at this point see Zach McEwen get some more playing time because I thought he was fantastic against the Ducks. The speed is there in his game now. He's physical. You don't need Wayne Simmons maybe because you have a Zach McEwen yep. in the fold. I'm fine with giving Zach a chance over Louis at this point. Louis did a great job. We talked about his value for that three or four week stretch and he helped out. out. They got something year. out yeah. of him. And at this point, I think you got to try a few different things. Well, I agree with that. I, I will say this: there is. Travis Green has been adamant and it's less talked about because Zach McEwen's not as high profile as, as some of the, you know, Besser in his first year and Pedersen and like Travis Green wants guys to over earn it almost mm-hmm. sometimes. Right. And, and that might be part of the situation with McEwen. They, he doesn't want to put guys in situations he doesn't believe they're a hundred percent ready for, or have proven time and time again that they can handle Zach McEwen's time will come. I, but I get the frustration from, from the yeah. fans who, and, but Travis Green's a guy who likes his veterans, and that's yeah. a lot of coaches are that way. Uh, final question goes to Sean Warren. There was a hit last night where Jamie Ben hit Oliver Ekman Larson. He got a game misconduct yeah, for it, and um, he was thrown out for the rest of the game. However, no supplemental discipline being added to it. So Sean's question is: Should there have been a- additional discipline? <sighs> you know what? Like I don't know because I feel like it's so inconsistent. Yeah. Like I don't. I don't say. Well, here's Exhibit A of a uh, similar hit that. I will say this. I also saw Jamie Bannon as an example of a guy who was going behind the net a couple of weeks ago, I feel like. And then let and, up. And let up, let up because, yeah. and people were like applauding him for that. And they probably did. some, and some people were probably ripping him for it. They both did kind of come to the same spot at the same time. Yeah. It wasn't like he was taking a run because you see, yeah. like, you, you, Jamie Ben was heading that way anyways, and Ekman Larson came in and he kind of turned. So I think that turn at the last second and as they both came to the same spot at the same time i'm on the side now where things like this happen given additional game I, i'd rather do that 
I but I don't think that. it was anything more than maybe another game or something. No, I, I, I'm on, I'm on the, I'm on the side of, of more suspensions. No, yes. but I, I'm on the <laughs> side, of, I'm on the side of safety. Yeah. But I also know, like this slowing it down frame by this game happens really quick, and it's you're right. Like sometimes things look way worse than they are, and and look more premeditated or with, with more vicious intent than they do have. And that was my point is like, we've, we've also seen Jamie Ben let up in situations. So I, I don't know. I, I agree. Maybe another game. Um, I think it, I think it looked when I first saw it on my little screen, right? Like you're watching on your phone. I'm like, well, man, like he's going to get the book thrown at him, but I've given up trying mm. to guess anymore because I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's so inconsistent. It's frustrating. I, I'm with you that it is frustrating. Uh, it's, this has been a very comprehensive uh, Ask Alex Anything. Lots of great questions. Uh, we apologize for the ones we were not able to get to. We try to get to as many as possible. But we all should the, try to do it more often. We should. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to more Ask Alex Anything questions next week. And, you know, it'll be an interesting week. Canucks deadline coming up on Monday. What do they do? How are they trending when they head on that Eastern road trip against Canadian teams as well? It's getting interesting. It is. Even so more we'll, we'll see what... Uh what Jim uh, Jim Benning pulls off here. What or can doesn't. Trader Jim do the rest of the way? Who knows? <laughs> we'll Who find knows? Out. We will find out. Thanks for listening to the Canucks pod. Alex Ald, I'm Satyar Shaw. Subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate you very much. I guess uh, we're all creatures of habit. Sometimes it takes a good shaking up for things to fall into place. Mm-hmm.